Hey everyone, this is your host Jesse from Make More Art and we are celebrating. Yes, we have reached our 100th episode here on the podcast and what a milestone to celebrate with our listeners and community who have shown such immense support for the past 99 episodes. We are overwhelmed and grateful for the beautiful and heartfelt messages, reviews, and comments people send from all over the world describing things they have enjoyed and learned from the podcast. Hosting this podcast brings me so much joy because it granted me the opportunity to build connection through the conversations I've had with talented artists and to learn from them as well. So for this episode, we've collected highlights from fan favorites. So we hope you enjoy this compilation. Hey, this is Jesse from Etcher. We believe in your power to create, so we invited artists from all around the globe to inspire you to keep on creating. Join us in this journey and let's celebrate creativity. This is Make More Art, the podcast. Alon Romero is a seasoned urban sketcher with a penchant for traveling. In this episode, he shares about three things he learned as he navigates through his art journey. Along your mission statement on your website says that you would want to guide people to awaken their inner yes. artists to awaken super sketching skills without That's needing right. or technical know-how. What pieces of advice or nuggets of wisdom can you share with our listeners and our audience? Yeah, I, I talk about awakening your inner artist because I think that we all have an inner artist within us. Mm-hmm. Um, even our 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 life is it's a masterpiece in itself so just the act of art i've learned recently more as of late is to produce to learn produce to create produce to iterate and to grow um initially i was creating i wanted each sketch to be gallery ready like masterpiece each one i wanted this sketchbook to be like a perfect thing but now it's like it's actually create a lot, create a lot. And I, I learned that recently um, from this retreat as well to punch those colors, get like, get some good juicy watercolors, get like, get in there. And it's actually, as long as you have like perspective and proportion down as like a fundamental value, then from there, it's just your character that's producing like, and, and, and that you're, you're, um, personality that's coming through the sketch. Art can be intimidating for others. So in this episode with Portuguese artists, we asked him to share actionable techniques that will build your confidence in sketching. So for someone wanting to draw the same way you draw, which is ink, fountain pen ink, drawing, and then watercolor on top, what would you say to them? How should they start? Any tips? Uh, yes. Well, technique-wise or material-wise? Or both? Both? Why not both? <laughs> okay, let's go to technique-wise. Um, and I'm going to draw a lot from my from my own uh, learning experience, which is um, blind contour drawing is like key. It's like a key thing to, to, to handle, um, to fearlessly handle uh, line work. So basically with line contour drawing, I don't know if you know this, but for, for all the people that might not know, it's uh, sketching without looking at the paper. So you're just sketching the person or the, the object or the, the model that you're 
that you're uh, that you're sketching. So you just you spend a lot of time looking looking uh, towards the person and not looking at the paper at all. This kind huh. of disconnects the uh, eye. So you the only thing that the only path that it's uh, that it's taken is like from the eye to the hand to the pen to the paper, and it doesn't go through your brain. Because you you don't know you don't know if you're sketching correct or, uh, correctly or not, and this is like a huge boost to to your confidence, to your you know, like oh. line working confidence. It's quite hard to get into at first, but as you progress uh, as you progress in it, you get more confidence, and suddenly you're just sketching directly with pen. Rejection, such a universally relatable experience. In this episode, Sandy Alnock shares a powerful story that will help us navigate through deep-seated wounds, and one that will empower us to carry on with our passion. Other question that I have in relation to what you just said is: some people are so scared, right? And if you you were talking about this offline earlier, but people are so scared of a piece of paper, and that's because they have this mindset that you have to be somehow good or knows a little bit about art in order to get started making art. What is your take on that, being someone who would like to empower people to create art? I believe that everybody is creative, that we're, we all have that within us. But at some point in our lives, somebody told us no. Right. Somebody said, you can't do it. Or somebody said, that's ugly. Or I don't know what that is. Well, I had someone who told me, that they had done a piece of artwork in one of their classes and they had taped it to the bulletin board mm -hmm. in the classroom and it fell down and the teacher walked past it and stepped over it oh, as she was wow. walking across the room. Mm. And that person was hurt by that so deeply that they never made art again because they thought she was saying, your art is terrible. Instead, she was probably being a teacher right. and trying to get to some other kid, trying to keep them from stabbing themselves with scissors. I mean, who knows what was <laughs> yeah. going on? Mm -hmm. But that person was wounded by one thing that one person did that may not have even meant anything, but we take those things in internally. Mm -hmm. And we tell ourselves, well, I can't draw. I can't do this. I can't paint. I can't whatever. Mm -hmm. And as long as you keep telling yourself that you'll never be able to. So one of the things I try to do is give people very small, actionable things they can do. Okay. You know, here's how to draw a rabbit in five steps. Like, can mm -hmm. we get you to draw a rabbit? Just take one piece of paper and use that as the gateway to get people excited about making something. And I'm hoping that that is is going to resonate with more people and that they'll start to see themselves differently than they might have and get over some of the old wounds that told them yeah. they can't do it. Capturing emotions and expressions are the guiding words for Fiona De Pinto as she paints the human soul through her expressive watercolor portraits. In this episode, she talks about the magic of letting go in art. I think that gaining control is something you really try to do in the beginning but then as you move on you should also dare and let go of that control and that's when the magic sets in watercolor is all about control but at the same time as you move along you slowly transition into letting go i love that Absolutely. which actually reminded me of a painting that you did um the one that's for she's a river and you mentioned okay. that it is your breakthrough piece because you've been playing around with loose 
Lose watercolor style. Yes, that's the one. So this and, is it, and I don't see, don't know if the camera will pick it up well, mm -hmm. um, but on the, you can see that on this side, actually on both sides of her nose, there's almost like a muddy. Yes, you can definitely tell on this side. Yes, it's yeah. like a puddle. Mm -hmm. I was working wet and wet a lot, and I wasn't really minding up too much about where the colors would go, mm -hmm. and then. After that, I let them dry and I started going over it with, you know, a more controlled technique. Yeah. And then I also thought, you know what? I just want to add a splatter. And I flicked my brush <laughs> right over her lip. Right. And it went, yeah, it went across her face. And I thought, you know what? I like it. Mm -hmm. And that is why this was a, a breakthrough piece for me, because mm -hmm. it's um, that's when I started thinking, you know, enough control enough control start letting go also because I never I totally admire artists who do photorealistic pieces uh, I admire their patience I admire their skills so um, they're absolutely amazing but that is not what I want to do mm -hmm. um, I want to create uh, a feeling of emotion and an impression almost like a reflection in in water as I, I said that. so that is, yeah yeah. John Harrison is a drummer at heart with the soul of an artist. The two creative paths complement each other in such a beautiful way that makes his artwork pop. In this episode, John shares freedom in doing art and how each work is different in your artwork is unique as your handwriting. But it's true. The more rules we put in ourselves when trying to make art, the less overwhelmed we get because we can only use A, B, and C, meaning there's no room for other stuff at the moment. I'll just do something with this one pen and these two colors yeah. and what comes out of it comes out of it. And you just dive in. Hopefully it helps to just start. It does. But it, it, the only thing, the, the one other thing, um, people at workshops and demos say, am I allowed to do this or am I allowed to do that? And I stop them in the tracks and say, look, there are no, as far as I'm concerned, there are no rules. So if you want to use lime green and a bright orange and some magenta, you go ahead and do it. That, it's your painting. It's your artwork. You don't have to do. I'm just showing you the way I do it. And hopefully you get something from it and it spark your interest enough to have a go. No rules in that. And the minute, oh, yeah, we had this chap came said, you're not allowed to and you can't do that. I'm thinking, well, I would say, but you can and you are allowed to do whatever you want to do. And this is what I love about um, demos and workshops, especially workshops, live ones, that if you've got 20 people at the workshop, you get 20 different views and versions. And it's incredible. I, I, do, I just absolutely, and that's the one thing I've missed about, about not doing in person. Zoom is fine. It's great. Um, it's different. But you, it's that human interaction and being able to look. I've, I've picked up some tips. And you know what? They're often the oldest people there who've been doing it for a long time. And you think, wow. I remember one chap was 92 and he was drawing and had a lovely, lovely shaky, shaky line with his hand. That drawing is fantastic. I wish I could do. And when you, when you force yourself to do that shake, it's it doesn't look right. No, yeah. no. It's like someone so, yeah. being sincere with their communication strategy, with the way they, they talk. 
and yeah. someone being honest, you can sniff it miles away because honesty oh. in, in someone is so easy to feel. And what you're saying, it looks to me that it's exactly the same with art making. If you're making it the way you make it, it's yeah. you who are in the page and not someone you're pretending to be, which is why sometimes it saddens me a bit when I see someone trying to learn to paint exactly the same way set teacher is painting. It's good for yeah. practice to understand how they use it, but to make your own pieces, just take away what is relevant to you and then make it yours. Just like you were saying, the shaky lines. I... I wish I had that in front of me now. That looks beautiful. And, you know, the biggest, the biggest compliment, and it kind of clicked, I thought, well, actually, I, I'm doing right, was when somebody said to me, commented, I posted something online on Instagram, I think, and somebody said, yeah, that was instantly recognizable. I knew it was yours. And I thought, oh, wow, do you mean I have a style then? And actually, you do, and everybody does. It's like your handwriting. You know, if you if you force yourself into calligraphy, that's fine. Just write the way you do. Um, in fact, you know, my my branding, my logo is 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 my handwriting because it's the most personal thing that you've got. You know, rather than I, oh, I could show you all the logos I've designed for myself because I can and I love doing it. But it comes back to the the personal thing. Yeah. So yeah. Beautiful. So yeah, you're right. What you said, uh, it's great to copy and practice. Um, but that practice should only be a springboard to let you find, well, I actually didn't like doing that, but I like this bit. And then you take those bits. Who was it said that good artists copy, but great artists steal? Mm. I think it was David Hockney. No, it wasn't. It was Francis Bacon. It was one of them anyway. But yeah. Juan Ian is an artist who seeks to forge his way through art by creating an experience for his audience. A believer that art is a universal language, he shares the bond and a dance created by the artist and the observer of the art. First of all, you have to realize that there's a there's a bond between the the artist and the observer of the the artwork. There's oh. a there's a, a a dancing. There's a some some communication for mm -hmm. even even it, it's fantastic. It tra transcends the time because you can you can grab a, a piece of a piece of art done uh, last year, last week, yesterday, and the message is still here. The amount of things that you can do that that you can put there cannot be everything because mm. if I say you if I, if I tell you everything. I cannot uh, give you space to to complete with your own experience and your own uh, your own present, right? You are you are looking at the at, at a painting right now, and you are being Jesse right now, uh, and it's important that you can include the the actual Jesse, the present Jesse, right now while you are looking the painting. And if I paint absolutely everything that I see that I want to tell you. I, I cut that experience from you, you know? That's really, so it's important to be, uh, to suggest. That's really excellent one. That's a really good point. And I love the part when you said that you would want to leave space for your audience to imagine and to incorporate themselves so that it's going to be an, an immersive experience for them when they look at your painting. 
And you also mentioned about it transcends time because you're absolutely right. It's a painting that was done, could be two years ago, but the story, it's still there. What was captured was still there. Burnout is a hot topic in the creative community. In episode 40, we asked artist Julia Blackman about her experience and how she overcomes artistic burnout while juggling between freelancing and her full-time job. Oh, watch till the end because you just might see an appearance of an adorable baby. Uh, if we jump to your Instagram, actually, before we go back in time, we see a lot of digital work, we see a lot of VizDev, but we also see other things. So apart from your work, apart from your full-time job, what do you mm -hmm. do as an artist, you know, as a, I, I, I wouldn't say hobbyist, so what do you consider yourself outside of work? Hobbyist, but do you also do professional work as a freelance outside? How do you conciliate uh, your work work from, you know, full-time job with art making on the side? How, how, how do you find even, how do you even find time for that? Oh, man. Um, yeah, so I do freelance on the side, and then I try to find time for my own personal work as well. But um, I also try to go outside to paint as often as I can. And um, yeah, so I just finished my first children's book last year, which is really exciting. Um, it's called The Mess That We Made, it's about all the plastic in the ocean. And that was really fun. That was like my first ever like fully illustrated children's book, which was just a blast. Wow. And, um, yeah, so that was fun. And then I've been doing children's book covers too for a while. Like I do a lot of like fantasy covers and whatnot. Wow. So, but don't you ever get tired? I mean, you get out of your job, yeah. which is art making the whole day. Huh. And then how do you even find the mental bandwidth to create more? Oh my gosh, it's hard sometimes. I've been through some like serious burnout in my past. Um, Especially in this pandemic, like you would think that with all this free time we have as artists, well, some people, um, that we would just be constantly creating in our free time. But it's actually kind of hard, I found, to create during this pandemic. Um, and I, I try not to put too much pressure on myself to be so productive, like all the time. Um, so I kind of just paint whenever I feel like it. And I don't really like make it a mission to be productive after work every single day because like I used to do that and I just got so toasty. What does it feel like to have a creative burnout? How did it feel like to you? Um, to me, like it felt like it's hard to get inspiration. And even when you have inspiration, it's really hard to like get yourself at your desk to actually do that thing. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. um, that's how I felt like. So it's like... I'm asking because I've also been through that and I I think to a certain degree is kind of unique how each artist feels an artistic burnout. Yeah. And what you said is so spot on. We've been through a full year of pandemic by now. It's January 2021. Um, and I, I, I went through that as well. I mean, sometimes I... I even prepared my workspace. I had the paper laid out. I had my brushes there. The paint was open. I just had to sit down yeah. and create. But I'm like, I don't even want to think about holding a brush <laughs> right now. I Only yeah. recently, like last week or something, I felt like I really wanted to get back to picking up a pen and drawing. So I yeah. just ended up doing a series of um, Pokemon of little creatures using mainly finger painting. And I'm still doing it. And it's fun. And it's something that I do just to do something creative, you know. 
And yeah. now I'm feeling like I can actually pick up my pens, pick up my brushes and do something that, you know, I used to do last year. Yeah, sometimes you just need to kind of revert to that mentality you had as a little kid. Like what made you excited about art when you were a little kid? And then maybe like dive oh. deeper into that and, you know, just play around and don't feel pressure to share it online. Just do something for your own soul to make you happy. Is that what you did? I mean, to get past that burnout, just do something fun until the spark got back to you or? Yeah, I mean, what I did was um, like, if I'm not really having that much creative inspiration, sometimes like I'll just take like a film study, like um, I'll watch a movie or a show and I'll just stop the show at a certain point I find really interesting and something where I feel like I could learn from that composition and stuff. So I do that every now and then, and that kind of like loosens up my gears a little bit for painting. Consistency is one of my biggest takeaways from this interview with artist Max McGee. Listen as he shares the importance of making time for doing what you love. I think I heard, I've interviewed several artists, urban sketchers on the pod, and that's one thing that they kept on saying, that it's something that, you know, you can't wait to do when you get up in the morning. And it's like, you can't yeah. imagine not having it or not doing it. Yeah. every day so I know you mentioned that you started uh, you want to learn something new right in 2018 and then you stopped you pulled your you know you put your sketchbook away what made you decide to pull it up again honestly it was I mean this is this was a very pandemic thing mm -hmm. I had um you know I was very fortunate to keep my job um and to be honest, and with the job that I was doing at the time, I, I didn't spend that much time working remote. I mean, I was I was back in for limited hours pretty quick. Mm -hmm. um, but there was a time there where I felt like like I wasn't doing anything. You know, I was just kind of sitting, I'd wake okay. up, have some coffee, the day would go by. And, and that sort of started to get to me. Um, and I thought at that point, I was like, this is a great time that I can get hours in. And during those early days, and, you know, if, if anybody hears this, that used to work with me, uh, I mean, I was able to draw like six hours a day. I mean, I could wow. in between calls, in between emails, in between, I mean, I was just had the book there and I was drawing and doodling and sketching and, you know, I mean, I didn't have a commute, so I could, I could wake up and that became my thing. I would wake up at five, between five and six, have coffee and I would draw for like two hours, you know, that's two hours a day that you can and that's the other, that's the other thing with, when it comes to, to drawing. And if you think, oh, I don't have the time, mm. but you do, you have to find ways to use it productively. From having everything going wrong after moving across the country to focus on his art, to becoming a TikTok sensation, Nicholas Holman's story is bound to inspire you, no matter or what state in your art journey you may be. So I ended up in Belgium on this adorable street with these adorable buildings, very European, you know, it was just, it was perfect. And I was like, um, you know, showing people what I'm looking at and then I paint it. And that was my first travel series that went viral. Mm -hmm. I think it's at like, you know, it's well over a million views, which is just crazy to think about. Mm -hmm. um, and then a person in Belgium went to the location and videoed the whole thing. So the fact that I'm painting this location, that's cool. All of these people have now laid their eyes on this. 
which they would have never seen prior, um, even if it's not in person. But then to have a Belgian person go take us there and play the same song that I was playing. She got out in the street and she was like, her dad drove her there and she was like dancing in the street. And it's like, that's, that's the house that I painted. And it was, it gives me chills even talking about it. It was just so magical. It's only happened once. So no one else has duetted anything yet, but it was just so cool that I'm doing this little connection, you know, and this little moment that is just so special. So, um, so yeah, F word magazine saw that and they're like, Hey, we love your world series. We want to turn this into a makeup look. Do you think you can do that? And I was like, ah, I've never even thought of that. Yeah, I can do that. Let's, let's do that. So yeah, I just painted four landscapes on my face and I even did fonts and I shot my own photos and I don't know, it was just, it was just so cool. And I think positivity comes from all of those amazing things happening, you know, because I chose to paint this thing, but make a video and bring people along. So I don't know. It's just really powerful. It is. And you, you earlier you said when you do something you love, people are drawn to it. Why do you think that happens? Because they see the passion in your eyes. Like I've had so many people comment, like I know nothing about painting, but this video was amazing. Or I know nothing about art, but I appreciate this because of how you're talking about it. And it's like, I mean, it could be a makeup artist. Like if they post videos about how much they love makeup and how passionate they are, people will gravitate to that. You love landscaping, same thing. You love plants, you you know, like I just think people are drawn to passion and uh, creativity and the confidence that I exude and my love for this. I don't know. I just think I um, show people like what they want to see. Art as a form of empathy. Yeah. Would you agree? Yes, I do. What if you are more than just one thing? What if you're a writer and also an artist? In episode 68, Amy Stewart, an artist and a New York bestseller, shared her insights about embracing your true artist self. I asked her, is it okay to switch lanes when the world is expecting you to flourish in just one? To say you should, um, you know, you need to pick one thing and only ever do that thing. That is the exact opposite of how art gets made. How art gets made is that you experiment and you play around and you follow your curiosities and your interests wherever they lead you. And they, so they could lead you into different materials. They could lead you into different styles or different subject matter or different sizes even, like working really small versus working really big. Um, and they could lead you somewhere else entirely, whatever. Like that's how artists actually work. Uh, it is it is corporations and it is uh, money makers who tell artists to do the very opposite of the thing that is actually how art gets made. So we have to be very skeptical of that and we have to really ignore that. I mean, the last thing I'm going to do is arrange my life around uh, an algorithm, right? right? I mean, for one thing, I'm going to be here long after the algorithm's gone, right? <laughs> like That's when I'm true. when I'm 90, yeah. uh, the algorithm's not going to be sitting by my bed holding my hand, right? So. Sure. There's no point in uh, 
in allowing my path as an artist to be dictated by what either an art gallery or a publisher. I mean, I've had this issue as a, as a writer as well. You know, mm -hmm. publishers will say, we really want you to write a book just like the last one you wrote because yeah. I'm selling really well. But that's not how art gets made. That's not how great books get written. They don't get written to a marketing plan. Mm -hmm. So um, I, you know, I think artists ought to really let themselves off the hook and learn how to follow what they're interested in and follow what they're curious about and not worry about outcomes and be in the moment and make the art that is interesting and exciting and challenging to you. I like the point that you made about algorithm. And I saw this article that is sort of associated to what you just discussed about letting other people dictate, like temporary jobs being dictated by like permanent decisions. and. That really struck a chord because, like what you said, we're, our creativity is sometimes um, confined into what other, like this big corporations and labels and as to what path we're going to take as an artist. And what you just said is felt for me very liberating to be able to go of what's being dictated by all these social media. So we're not saying that it's, it's bad. Of course, there is this, you know, it can be very helpful, especially if you want to that your brand known but to your point Amy we shouldn't be tied up the way that we create shouldn't be tied up with what the number dictates if you want to know the brainchild of this podcast then episode 50 will take you through the journey Anya Marquez is an artist creator teacher and a person you want to have as a mentor in your life Listen to her extra story, her interview process, and as she shines a new light on why art has the power to make the world a better place. So walk us through your interview process in the sense, how do you, the first thing, how do you interview, how do you select the people you want to interview? Mm -hmm. Okay. I hope this not makes me look bad. Um, I'm going to be totally honest because I'm, I'm all about openness. So uh, at the beginning, we were not doing our teaching platform, right? So I was looking at artists that I knew had something interesting to say or who were completely different from each other so I could get as many perspectives as possible. Because I believe that we're, we're all human. So in a sense, we are all the same, but we also have very fundamental different opinions. And that is not to say some are right or wrong. They're just different. That's the same thing with artists, you know, people believe firmly in different things. And uh, even though some might be right or wrong, usually they're just very different and work for different kinds of people. You know, I don't believe in people saying, oh, you always have to start with line drawing to, to create a painting. Mm -hmm. No, you don't. You have to start with line drawing if that works for you and the way your brain processes information. Some people think in tone. So maybe for them, it's easier to start with brushstrokes and, and shapes. So you chose variety, you chose differences of opinion because you value putting it out there that these two opinions coexist. This is how you made your initial choices. Mm -hmm. And you said that educational aspect came to etcher and mm -hmm. then that yeah, started so, increasing your yeah. catalog of people. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, so once you've chosen an interviewee, how do you prepare for that process? How do you decide what to ask who? So I, I know a lot of interviewers. I did an intense course on podcasting and usually interviewers prepare a lot 
for their interviews. They research the, the person they're interviewing. They check a bunch of videos. They do a lot of things. I rarely ever do that. I want to know the bare minimum of the person I'm interviewing. Unless it's an extremely wild, famous person that gave so many interviews that I don't want to just make another boring interview. So, for example, when I interviewed James Gurney, I researched as much as I could because I wanted to know what people ask him and it's usually all the same and I'm like how can I make my interview very different from what he usually you know because why would people listen to my to our show our etcher show if if it's just more of the same unless of course they love to hear that uh, so I usually unless it's you know super super public figure I want to know as little as possible so who are you where I just check your website and I check your art and there's a lot that comes through your art I believe like I I feel like I get to know a little piece of you when I look into your art and I see what is it that you do all the time where is the consistency what are the patterns and mm -hmm. that gives me some ideas of what I'd like to know as a mm -hmm. fan of your work <laughs> and I just check your bio and that's more than enough and then I played by ear. I start the podcast and I start with uh, an introduction as well, just figuring out where you come from. And then I start talking. Usually, Sometimes I talk about the person's art, like, hey, I noticed this in your work. Uh, why do you make this choice? Or how is it working with this medium? I, I always try, try to put myself in our audience shoes because to make a good show, you have to know who you're talking with. I really want the audience to be, to feel like they're a part of the show like they're in the room listening and not that they are outside of the window just listening to some broadcast I don't want that I want them to feel included so I really want to know I really want to I need to know who is listening so I can understand what they would want to know and I can ask those questions the podcast exists to create a space like you said for a real conversation and mm. at the same time this is happening everyone listening knows this is from Etcher it has been my privilege to join you week after week on your car radios and your earbuds while painting, doing your laundry, cooking, or perhaps during your morning run. I am beyond grateful for this platform that has been such a fun, creative outlet for me. But most of this is Etcher's way to serve and support you through tips and tricks or even life lessons shared by our guest artists. You inspire us every day to create new content, devise strategies, and find ways to prove that anyone can make art. Thanks again for listening, subscribing, sharing, and letting us know how we can serve you better. Here's to 100 and more.